Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Tonight, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. And uh, last week I started, I kind of did an introductory to the fruit of the Spirit. And I just feel led to kind of follow in that theme again tonight and take that just a little bit further tonight. And, uh, but the book of Galatians chapter 5, we're going to look at, of course, the uh, foundational verses for this is in verse 22 and 23. And we'll also go to John 15 a little bit later. But uh, for this moment, we're going to be right there in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Verse beginning in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and such, the Scripture says, there is no law. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit tonight about Bible pomology. And you say, well, Pastor, what are you talking about, Pastor? What is promology? You know, um, promology comes from the word uh, promoma, which is the um, which is which was a Roman word for the mythical Roman Greek goddess of fruit, promoma, and uh, pomology is the study of fruit growing. It's the science of fruit growing, and uh, but I want to talk about Bible promology tonight. The study of spiritual fruit growing. And, uh, you know, the University of West Virginia, um, they have a department of promology in their university. And uh, I like going on their website and looking at some of the things that they have there. And, um, and so uh, they have a department of promology. And, and so it's the study, it's the science of fruit growing. And so I want to do a little spiritual study tonight on Bible promology. And uh, you know what I found out this week in studying is I found out that fruit helps uh, fruit. When fruit is part of our diet, our physical diet, that fruit on our table uh, helps our palate, our tongue, our palate, which we taste food, uh, fruit will help your taste buds. It'll help your food, your your uh, food to be more tasteful, and um, actually, fruit uh, makes your food less sour, and less insipid, and less tasteless. So, when you have a diet of fruit, your the fruit will enheighten your taste buds, and you will enjoy the taste of food even more than what you normally would, and so. The sweets of fruit uh, makes the taste of food less sour. You know, uh, there are some people who believe, and uh, uh, my wife grew up where her, her mother used to tell her that, you know, you should always eat your fruit first before you eat anything else uh, so that your stomach doesn't sour and that you don't get a bellyache, that you eat fruit first. But the truth is, science says that it helps your palate. You're able to uh, the taste of fruit, 
uh, helps you enjoy uh, taste of food become even more enjoyable when you, use, when you have a diet of fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit helps our relationships with one another and, it, it, and, and our personalities with one another so that we have a, a tang and a zest about uh, uh, those whom we have relationships with, that our relationships, the fruit of the Spirit, does for us spiritually what real fruit does. It makes our relationships better. It makes our relationships uh, uh, less unpleasant and less sour. In other words, we're able to, in other words, here's what they're saying. The fruit of the Spirit helps you and I tolerate one another more. Does that make any sense? <laughs> we'll love each other more if we, if we live by the fruit of the Spirit. If we let the fruit of the Spirit be produced in our life, you're going to like people more, right? And you'll be able to tolerate people more, right? And so just as in the natural, fruit helps the taste of food, and make food more enjoyable, the fruit of the Spirit in your life makes others more enjoyable to you. So that's a good case, the fact that we need the fruit of the Spirit in our lives so that we may enjoy one another. I want us, first of all, when we look at this passage of Scripture and the, what the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul beginning here in verse 22, um, uh, I want us to look at the context of this statement in verse 22. And the Apostle Paul begins in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and so by saying that, but the fruit of the Spirit, what he's saying is he's putting what he's about to say in context. And the context of verse 22 of the fruit of the Spirit um, is in this statement is that to look at what is said after and what is said before, putting the passage in context. Also, to look at the book of Galatians. What does the book of Galatians have to say, not only just in this passage, but what does it have to say about the fruit of the Spirit? What does it have to say about the Spirit of God? So this statement occurs in the book of Galatians. And here a statement about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians does Galatians have anything else to say about the Spirit? Matter of fact, when you read the book of Galatians, you'll realize that Galatians uh, has more to say about the Holy Spirit, as much to say about it as any other letter that Paul has written. And, you know, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit in terms of the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is our salvation, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which empower us to serve. And then here, the fruit of the Spirit, which is the graces of the Holy Spirit, which are the traits and the characteristics of the Christian life. And so, but do I find these three areas in the book of Galatians, in, the, in this book, in the context of the book of Galatians, do we see Paul speaking about these things? Absolutely, we do. If you look at chapter 3 and verse 2, uh, and look what Paul says here. He said, this, this, only, this I only want to learn from you. Do you did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? This here is talking of the gift of the Holy Spirit. The person of Jesus Christ made real in our lives by the Holy Spirit. 
If you look down to chapter 3 and verse 14, it says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Here Paul, again, is talking of the gift of the Spirit and in Galatians 3. If you look at Galatians 3, verse 5, it says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? There he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. The, the, uh, uh, this brief mention of the works of the Holy Spirit and, and the fact in the works of miracles. He's speaking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so when we get to chapter 5 and we move into chapter 5, Paul here, he contrasts this chapter. He used this chapter in contrast. And we move into this chapter and, and uh, he contrasts living according to the Spirit and life according to the flesh. Paul says there's the context of this, but now the fruit of the Spirit the context of that in this chapter is you read before the life in the flesh and then life in the spirit. Paul is bringing contextually, he's pointing out to us that there's a contrast or there is a, the context of this scripture is to speak of the life of the flesh and the life in the spirit. If you look down, the, if you look at verse 16 of chapter 5, it says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He's pointing out the fact that we begin this Christian life in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, and we are to live, we are to live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying, we begin it in the Spirit, we have to live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. I love what Paul says in Galatians where he says, who has bewitched you? To believe that that which you have begun in the spirit can be fulfilled by the flesh. What is Paul saying? What happens in the Christian life is, is that your born again experience is a supernatural thing in the spirit of God. And what happens is we get saved and then we try to live this Christian life in the flesh instead of living it out through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so in verse 16, he talks about pointing out the fact that we begin the Christian life in the Holy Spirit. We have to live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 17, he says, he goes and says, for the lust, for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do, so that you do not do the things that you wish to do. The reference to the flesh in verse 17 is a reference to the old nature. What is our old nature? It's our Adam nature. We're born into sin. Did y'all know that? Y'all were born as sinners. We are born with the sin nature of Adam. And when we saved, we do not lose our sin nature. It's still there. In other words, what Paul is saying is there's going to be this war between the spirit and the flesh that's ongoing. That's a continual ongoing. As long as you have the flesh, you're going to battle the flesh because of our sin nature is still there. We have been redeemed in our spirit in Christ Jesus, 
but we still have to battle the flesh. The Bible says the old man has died, but the Bible also says that we are to put it to death on a daily basis. Y'all understand that? I mean, the old man has died. Your old man has died. How many are thankful the old man is dead? And that old things have passed away, but praise God, when you got saved, all things have become new in your life. The old man is dead, but you got to kill him every day. That flesh has to be dealt with every day. You wake up and that flesh has to be dealt with. In other words, what Paul is saying is positionally, we're dead, we're dead in our sins when Jesus died on the cross, but practically we have to put the old nature to death every day. We cannot live the Christian life successfully by following the desires and the deeds of the flesh. And Paul is saying that's the context here. The context is we have to understand there's an old nature. There's a flesh that you battle every day. I battle every day. And we have to put that thing to death every day. That old man wants to get up all the time. And we have to crucify him on a daily basis. But not only is Paul speaking of the context that's here, but he's also speaking of the contrast that is made in verses 19 through 22. There's a huge contrast that's being made here. And you see it quickly in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Which are, and he goes through adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, uh, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, rivalries, and are the like of which I tell you beforehand. Just as I have told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he says, now the works of the flesh is evident. They're manifested, which means that they are, um, uh, they are made manifest. Our flesh manifests these works that are here. Paul says these are the works of the flesh. These are the things that are manifested when we live our life by the flesh and not by the Spirit. Maybe as I read those, maybe a couple of those stood out to you and you said, Oh me, that's me. And we need to say, God, oh my, help me. Because there's a list there. But Paul is contrasting here. He is contrasting. He, after that list of the works of the flesh, he comes in verse 22 and he says, But... The fruit of the Spirit is. In other words, there is an answer. But the fruit of the Spirit. He's, he's putting these two in contrast. The works of the flesh. What our sin nature wants to produce in our life. What this old flesh wants to do. It describes it as the works of the flesh. Plural, works, many. There are 17 of them that are listed there. These works of the flesh that want to manifest, that want to show up. You have here a vocabulary of sin in that list of 17 that show you how rotten and corrupt the deeds of the flesh can be as they are manifested in our life. There's no order to them. They bring the, the, the generation, chaos, confusion, and you know, 
as and all of that. Sin will do that in the life of the individual. How many know sin will create chaos in your life? Tragedy, disorder, heartache in your life. How many know sin does that? The works of the flesh will create all kinds of chaos and, and disorder, confusion in your life. But Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit. But now, by the way, the contrast of the fruit of the Spirit. Now he's talking about fruit, not works. Works is that which is manufactured in our nature. Fruit is that which is produced in us. The difference is the production of fruit comes from the inside out. The works of the flesh always manifest themselves in outward nature. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's interesting here. He says, but now the fruit of the Spirit. He did not say the fruits of the Spirit. Paul is using the reference in singular here. He's not using it as plural. We know there's a ninefold fruit of the Spirit. We list them. We read them. There's a ninefold list. But Paul here in the context is talking about in the Greek, this is a singular term. Some say in reference to why uh, uh, this is like that is that Paul is talking and talking about our lives as internally as a garden. And the Spirit of God produces fruit in us like you would work a garden. You don't have nine gardens of fruit. You have one garden that produces ninefold fruit. And so uh, some theologians believe Paul was referring to our lives as a garden. And that the Holy Spirit works in that garden to produce these fruits of the Spirit that come out of us. It's singular, a singular garden, a singular term. One scholar that I read after said this, that what Paul meant is, is that the fruit of the Spirit is first. He said the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he lists the other eight fruits of the Spirit. And he says that it's singular because love is the primary fruit and that all the other eight fruits flow out of love. In other words, what they're saying is that the primary fruit is love. That if you love, the other eight fruits of the Spirit will flow out of your love. If you get love right, we can get love right. And uh, how many know everybody's looking for love, right? They have been for a long time, right? Ever since they were singing, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love and all too many faces. I don't know the song. It was a long time ago. But people are looking for love, right? And uh, uh, I hear people say that love wins. Love already won on the cross. Love has already won. And, you know, they say love has no boundaries. That's not true. Love does have boundaries. All you have to do is read 1 Corinthians 13, you realize love has boundaries, right? If you're married, your love has a boundary, right? There's boundaries to your love. And so love does have boundaries. Love, love does. And, and so he could be talking about that the fruit of the Spirit is love and the eight other fruits express themselves out of love. You know, there are, as I was studying, I realized that there are four categories of fruit. 
Fruit is lumped into four categories scientifically. There's uh, those that are called palms, which are P-O-M-E-S. These are fruits that have a core and a small seed in them. Palms are fruits that have a core and they have small seeds in them, uh, such as an apple. That's a palm. It has a core, but it has small seeds. There's dropes, D-R-O-P-E-S. These are fruits that have a pit in the center of them, like peaches or plums have a pit. Those are dropes. Then there's berries, strawberries, raspberries, blackberries. And then there's aggregates, which is a fruit that grow in clusters. Now, what fruits grow in clusters? Bananas grow in clusters. Dates grow in clusters. Grapes grow in clusters. And really, many believe that that is what Paul is referring to here, that the fruit of the Spirit is a cluster of fruit. It is a cluster. It grows in a cluster, like an aggregate. In other words, it grows. And so Paul is using this beautiful picture of the fruit of the Spirit as growing in cluster, a singular representation of the total life of the Holy Spirit <coughs> can produce in and throughout if we are yielded as we are yielded by our born again as a born again and believer. As a born again believer, there should be the fruit of the Spirit that is working out of you in your life. The cluster of the fruit of the Spirit should be growing in your life. This is what God intends to be the characteristic of the life of every child of God, the fruit of the Spirit, singular. Life of the Holy Spirit in its totality as it reflects itself in our personality, in our relationships that we have with other people. That cluster of the fruit of the Spirit should be being manifested and produced in our life and is done through our personalities and through our relationship with other people. So let's talk about fruit growing for a moment. Fruit bearing, as some places in Scripture would call it. There are several processes that are necessary for fruit to grow successfully. Now I'm going to talk about three of them tonight. There are three things that are necessary for fruit to grow uh, successfully in the natural and also in the spirit. First of all, there has to be a planting. There has to be a planting. In other words, it can't grow unless it's planted, right? A fruit of, you know, you can't buy an apple tree or seeds if you never plant it. You can't just lay it on your table and hope that you're going to come back in a couple days and you're going to have the seed of what you have. It has to be planted. It has That seed has to be planted. Just in the natural realm, so does it have to be planted in the spiritual realm. The parable of Jesus that he gave in Matthew 13. The sower who went forth, what did he do? He was sowing. He sowed in the different types of soil where the seed was sown. And in the parable, Jesus makes it clear the seed is referenced to the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. In order for spiritual fruit to grow, the seed of the Word of God has to be planted in your life and my life. That seed has to be planted. The Bible is like a seed. What do we know about a seed? 
Well, we know that a seed is small and insignificant. I mean, you look at a seed and you think, how in the world can it produce what it produces? But at the moment of planting, it's small and it's insignificant. And it looks insignificant. If you take the Bible and put it next to great works of literature all over the world, right? I mean, and people say, compared to other literature, there'd be those that would argue that the Bible is not even as insignificant compared to other works of literature that is in the world on the secular scale. And I don't know what works of literature would be, but the truth is, the Bible seems really insignificant to much of the world. But how many know that there's a powerful seed that's on the inside of this book? There's a powerful seed that has the ability to bring change in the human life. It is a powerful seed. It may look insignificant, but there's power on the inside to change a life. This book has the ability to bring such change. It can change cities. It can change neighborhoods. It can change families. It can change the world if it's just planted into the heart of someone who would just receive it tonight. I'm telling you, this book changed my life. And I want to tell you that you may not even be, I can point the scriptures that have been important to me, but do you know that when I got saved, I read through the New Testament several times. Every day, I read through the Word of God. And I, read, I didn't understand it all. Gerald, I didn't understand everything I was reading. I, couldn't, I didn't have context for all of it. I didn't have all the historical background or, or know every, every part of the, of the survey of the Old New Testament, why it was where it was or what happened. But I read the Word. But what I began to see is that it was life. It was like drinking every day. It was the seed being planted in my life. And when the seed began to get planted, then my life began to change on the inside. I mean, it's hard to even comprehend. It's hard to even, even let people know how powerful the Word of God is in your life. If you look at the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 21, this explains what I'm talking about. It says, Receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your soul. To receive with meekness the implanted word of God, which is able to save your soul. Now that word save there is not just salvation, salvation, but it's the preservation of the soul. Do you know that, that part of salvation is that God preserves you and keeps you and protects you and watches over you? Part of your salvation is the fact that not only do we have a home in heaven, but there's a God that watch out over us here. That there's a preservation of our life here that keeps us from going back to the old life, going back to the old sin nature. There's a preservation that happens in our lives. That's why it's important for young people to live for God. You know why? There's a preservation that takes place. When they live for God and they know the Word of God, there's a, there's, a, there's a protection that God puts on them that preserves them and protects their innocence and protects them from the, being violated by what the world will do to them. How many know the devil will violate you? 
that he takes from you. Receive ye with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. No life can be produced in that tree unless there is life in that tree. There, unless there's life in that tree, nothing can be produced out of that tree. Now, how many expect, you all see the crosses that are out front? Did you all see the crosses pulling in? Isn't it amazing? I want to thank Doug Hobbs for putting those up. They look amazing. They look beautiful. And I love that message to that picture. But let me tell you something. If you go out there in two months and look at those crosses, do you think there's going to be fruit on those trees or on those crosses? You're going to be able to pick a banana off there or an apple or a pear, a cluster of grapes or bananas? You're not. You know why? Because there's no life on the inside of them. You can't get fruit out of something that doesn't have life. There has to be life on the inside. No life can be produced on the outside until first there is life on the inside. No one can produce spiritual fruit until their life has begun, has been generated in our hearts by the new birth experience when the seed of the word of God is planted in our hearts. When that happens and we receive the word of God in our hearts and that seed begins to germinate, all of a sudden life begins to burst on the inside. Something that's not alive can't produce anything. Fruit can't be produced when something is dead. But the Word of God, when it germinates in you, it goes in as a seed, but it gets germinated by the Holy Spirit, and it produces something that is manifested in the Christian life that is beautiful. Things begin to manifest that may not have ever been there before. You plant a tree, and when you plant a tree, it grows, and buds begin to manifest. You see, you haven't seen that before. I've seen Christians come in, into the church, and this is a beautiful thing. People who have just come in to Christ, and all of a sudden, you begin to see, over a time period, all of a sudden, they get hungry for the Word, and they get hungry for God, and all of a sudden, you begin to see the budding of the fruits of the Spirit began to be poured out out of their life, out of that outflow of the seed of God's Word being planted in their hearts. You see things in them you've not seen in them before. You see them able to bear and have Christian character that you've not seen before, traits and character that wasn't there before. You see someone who was unloving, now when they come to Jesus, they become loving. Someone who was mean turned sweet, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Have y'all seen that kind of transformation in people's lives? Where you've seen mean people come to Jesus and God change who they are? They weren't loving before, but now they become loving. They, weren't, they didn't have joy before, now they have joy. They didn't have patience before. Now God's given them patience. They weren't cheerful. Now they're cheerful. They were never kind. Now they're kind. How many know that's the fruit of the Spirit? That this is what should flow out of the believer's life. When the Word is germinated in our life, there should be fruits. There should be the budding of things in our life that has never been there before. And that fruit should begin to grow in our lives. It's the imparted, it's the, it's the implanted Word of God. 
And I want to tell you, you can't imitate the fruit of the Spirit. You can't imitate it. You can't imitate love. It'll come across shallow. You try to imitate joy, you'll just look silly. You try to imitate long-suffering, it just, it just shows and exposes human effort. Life is germinated when the seed is planted in our life. God intends all nine of the fruits of the Spirit, of the fruits to be a part of every Christian life. You don't just get to pick and choose. Well, you don't just get to say, well, I'm going to be loving, but I'm not going to have joy. I, I, I'm, in other words, the Christian life, this should be a natural manifestation. You don't just get to pick the fruits you like, like you do at the grocery store. If the indwelling of the Holy Spirit lives in you, these traits will be part of the believer's life. It'll be an outflow of your life. It'll be the outflow of who you are. Thank you, Jesus. See, there has to be growth. That seed is germinated. There has to be growth. Life has to grow. The process of growth. You don't get the fruit all at once. You can't be impatient. All the old is gone. And it's like when new believers come to Christ, they think all the old is gone and they think that they never blow it again or they never mess up again. I don't know about you, but I've blown it a few times since I came to Jesus. Right? We're not perfect, right? We blow it. And sometimes we blow it. We have to sometimes be patient to allow the, the, the Spirit of God to work in us and to move in our hearts. It doesn't all come at once. We have to be patient. We have to be, uh, you know, if you're saved, all the fruit of the Spirit can't be just pouring out of you after one week of being and saved. There's the process of growth. What the Bible talks about, that process of growth, is what we call today, or what we used to call, what the old church used to call, sanctification. It is a process of growth and righteousness. The fruit does not appear overnight on the tree, right? The tree's planted, it's watered, it's nourished, and the fruit don't come the next day, right? The fruit comes, the fruit comes. You have to wait patiently for the fruit to manifest itself, for that fruit to come. That process of sanctification and righteousness, it's 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 a slow, quiet process. See, the evidence that the fruit, uh, the fruit is being produced is that the sap is slowly rising, and all of a sudden, the first thing you see on that tree is the buds that begin to pour. And what is the sap? The sap rises to nourish the branches. And you see the budding of that tree. You know, the Bible tells us, uh, it talks about uh, saps, that the, that the sap that God is like, the sap in a tree that rises in our heart. The Spirit of God is like the sap that's in a tree. You know, I'm, I mean, we, we need to believe, God, that the, that the sap is going to rise in our hearts so that fruit can start being produced in our lives. Let the Holy Spirit rise on the inside, right? Let the Holy Ghost rise up on the inside of us so that fruit can be produced on the outside of us. And so first of all, there is the planting. Second of all, 
in the Bible promology are fruit growing. The second thing is, number two, there's the cultivating of the fruit. If the fruit is going to be fruitful and to bear fruit in abundance, it has to go through the process of cultivating. For the fruit to be all it should be, it must, there must be a right environment for that fruit to grow. Now, how many, how many of you have seen orange trees grows in Madison, Indiana? Y'all seen all the orange tree groves we got around here? <laughs> we got tons of them, don't we? No, we don't. Why don't we? Because our atmosphere and climate is not conducive for oranges to grow. Now, thank God we live next to an apple orchard over here. And Farmer Goley, he, he, uh, he farms apples over here. But how many know that for fruit to grow, the environment has to be right? The environment has, the atmosphere has to be right. The atmosphere has to be conducive for that fruit to grow and to have nourishment under that atmosphere that that fruit can produce. How important is the atmosphere of the Christian life? How important is that atmosphere? And when we talk about atmosphere, what are we talking about, Pastor? What are you talking about when you talk about atmosphere and cultivating? Well, when we talk about atmosphere, we talk about a lot of things. When you talk about atmosphere, the atmosphere in which you worship, the atmosphere in which you do life, the atmosphere of your fellowship. How many know all those things affect your growth? How many know that the atmosphere of the body of Christ, the church you go to, how many know that we as a church should be an atmosphere where fruit of the Spirit can be grown in the lives of people? That our atmosphere should be crucial to spiritual growth and crucial to fruit being produced in the life of the believer. Atmosphere is important. And there are three essentials to the growth of fruit and cultivating. Fruit needs three things. One, it needs, it needs the sun. It needs maximum exposure to the sun. The maximum benefit of the sun. It needs to have the exposure of the sunlight in order for that fruit to grow. Two, the second essential for the growth of fruit and cultivating is the soil. It has to be good soil. It has to, have al it has to be alkaline, al alkaline in it, and the acidity has to be right. Now, I don't understand all that because I just read that off of the West Virginia Promology website. You know, So what's it telling? There has to be the right alkaline and the right acidity in the soil for the tree to grow. The soil has to be rich in which it's planted. Thirdly, there has to be water of abundance. The water has to be of abundance. And so cultivating, the cultivating of a tree, the cultivating of fruit is important. The cultivating of your life is important on whether or not you produce fruit. It's not only just atmosphere, but the cultivating the nourishment of your life. You know, they say there are 16 essential, 16 essential 
ingredients or nourishments that a fruit tree needs in order to grow fruit in abundance. There are 16 of them. Three of them are, are they get from the sun. Three of them they get from the sun. Carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. All three, three of the 16 ingredients come from the sun. The rest of those ingredients, the other 13, come inside the soil. And the three most important in the soil are nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. All of those are important. They get their nutrients from the soil. In other words, the roots have to draw from the soil. And so there's, the, there's that cultivating. The true Christian has to have the right, has to be connected, has to have the right nourishment. You know there are essential ingredients for you to grow in the Lord and for you to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. You too have to, you too have to be connected to the sunlight. Y'all hear what I'm saying? You have to be connected to the sun, the S-O-N, the presence of His Son. The, pre- the exposure of the presence of His Son is nourishment to the roots of your life which help you grow the fruit of the Spirit. You have, to be the, you have to have plenty of nourishment as a believer. You have to draw from the soil and the water, the good soil and the water of the Word. You have to water yourself with the Word of God. You have to water yourself with the Word of God. You have to water yourself with the Word of God. And then the third aspect in cultivating, you have the you have the essentials. You have uh, you have to have pruning. Pruning is important for fruit bearing. You say, oh no, preacher, you're going to talk about pruning. You know, look, the key to pruning is two things: the timing of pruning, when you prune, right. The timing of it, and also not only the timing of it, but there's a skill in pruning. You just can't go out to a tree and just start lopping off stuff off of it. You got to know what you're doing. And those who are horticulturists or those who understand fruit growing, you just can't just go chop on a tree and take all the branches off of it and, and skin it alive and leave nothing left and expect that tree to produce fruit. How many know that tree is going to die? There's a skill to it. There's the timing and the skill to pruning. When to cut, where to cut, and how to cut. And so there are tools to prune. I don't know. Some of you may have tools to prune. There are small shears that you prune with, right? You know, you have the small shears that you prune and clip off with and You've got rose bushes. Maybe most of you have those type of pruning clips or shears. And then there's the big loppers, right? Where you, you know, you got to cut dead branches. You got to break off things that are dead, the branches that are dead, these big loppers that you use to, uh, but they have to be used the right way. If not, you'll kill the tree, you know? And so pruning is interesting because there's the small shears and the large loppers, and uh, the problem is, is that knowing when to cut, how to cut, it's important. How many know that 
the damage comes when in the spiritual life, in the Christian life, when Christians decide that they're going to prune other Christians. Right? They decide they're going to prune them. They're going to be the ones that prune them. And when they begin to prune young Christians, there can be damage that's done in those Christians' life. If it's not done with maturity, if it's not done biblically or orderly, Christians can get discouraged and and there's damage that can be done. Now the Bible tells us in John 15 that who's the pruner? The heavenly father, verse 1 of John 15 tells us the heavenly father is the husbandman. How many know God knows how to use the tools? He knows how to use the pruning shears on our life. He knows how to cut the old life off, the old growth off. He knows how to cut branches that are not producing. How many know sometimes we need to be pruned by God? We need to let God, what's he prune? He prunes uh, our bad habits. He prunes our thought patterns. He prunes some of our behaviors to keep us because how many know that sometimes your habits, your bad habits, your, your, sometimes your, your thoughts, uh, you know, your, your, the way you think, bad, bad the way that you, the, you know, the thought patterns you have and the behaviors you have. How many know sometimes God's got to come along and chop off the old so that the new can grow again? There are times when we have to say, God, change the way I'm thinking about this. Change my mindset about this. If you're having financial trouble, how many know you might need to be pruned in the way you think about finances? And you may need to learn about seed time and harvest and learn what the Bible teaches about financial prosperity. Maybe you need to cut off, maybe some things need to cut off that have not grown, fruit has not grown there, but the Word of God is the pruning shears that God uses. And the Word will speak to you and say, hey, this is, this is dead. It needs to be pruned off because God wants to produce more fruit in your life. So you've got to break this habit. You've got to let go of this mindset. You've got to stop this behavior so God can take you into a greater relationship with Him. In John chapter 15 and verse 2, the Bible tells us this. It tells us that, that God is the pruner. Look what it says. He says, I'll begin in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. That's Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. In other words, it's the vine dresser that keeps, that keeps the fruit and the tree growing. It's the vine dresser. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Right? So what's that tell us? It tells us that the word of God, that God's word is what prunes us. And sometimes God has to bring out the heavy duty loppers in our life. You say, well, what for? I'll tell you why. Because Christians can be rebellious. And rebellion is not a small thing. It is a big thing in the economy of God. Pride is a big thing in the economy of God. 
Sometimes men don't get their breakthrough or change don't happen in the lives of people because pride has set in. And they've let that pride keep God from working deeply in their life. And so they have a little bit of fruit and a little bit of fruit, but they're not producing like God wants them to produce. And the truth is pride is at the root and God needs to take those big loppers, those big shears and Cut the root of that thing out so that fruit can begin to grow in their life. Rebellion and pride in the hearts. These are the heavy duty. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read this to you and show you. What is the heavy duty loppers? How does God, how does God prune? What does he use to prune heavily? Right? Well, I'm going to give you the big lopper tonight. I'm going to show you how God prunes us with the big lopper. Look at verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. For he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. How many know that when God brings out the big shears and begin to lop off some of the big issues of your life, how many know that that is not joyful? <laughs> right? It's painful. Is that not right? Has anybody gone through some pain with God shearing them and God bringing them through the pruning system so that on the other side, you will produce fruit that's greater than what you could have ever imagined in your life. And so, but for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, afterwards, after the pruning, after the big loppers have been hit to the dead branches of your life and they've been pulled off, it says, afterwards, it yields the what? The peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hallelujah. I mean, that should, re, that should be encouraging to us tonight. That we have a God that doesn't leave us spiritually where we are. You know what that tells me? That sometimes we got to let people grow. we got to give people room to, to, to make mistakes, to grow in the Spirit. To let God be the discipliner. Let God be the pruner. Let the Word of God be the pruner. It doesn't mean that we don't discipline. It don't mean that we don't speak truth. But it means that we let the Holy Spirit do the work. Let Him do the work. Because if He does the work, the work is done right and is done completely. And it becomes and it leads to more fruitfulness in our lives. In other words, the Lord chastens us. I don't know if you've ever been chastened. But there's been times in my life I've been chasing. And, and I want to tell you, it's not a fun season. But on the other side, I thank God for his faithfulness. I thank God for his love for me. And some of you right now, you may be, be being chastened in your life. There may be a chastening that's happening. Let it, let it finish its work. God's just cultivating you so that better fruit can come forward in your life. I'm about done. 
See, here's what's, here's what's uh, uh, interesting. I thought as you read through Scripture, there's times we are commanded to love, right? We're commanded to be patient. We're commanded to be kind. Those are commands, right? But then you say, you look over here and you say, but isn't that supposed to be the fruit of the Spirit? Ain't the fruit of the Spirit supposed to produce love and patience and, and faithfulness and kindness? Aren't those things supposed to be produced by the Holy Spirit? If we're commanded to do it, doesn't that mean it's done out of our, that we're to just do it? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I have an answer for you. <laughs> See, what happens is we're commanded to love. The Word of God tells us to love one another. That's what Jesus told his disciples. Uh, the last time that he was with them, he commanded them to love one another. So sometimes we're commanded to love. So if I'm commanded to love, I will go and say I will come to Tyler. And I've had a hard time loving Tyler. But I'm commanded to love, so I'm going to try to love Tyler. Right? He, I'm commanded to do it. I'm trying to do it. And then I realize I'm not very good at it. <laughs> you know, and I'm, not, I'm not very good. I try to obey it. I try to be kind. I try to, you know, we all have people. Is there anybody in your life that challenges your patience? Right? That you, you, find, you find it very hard having grace for? Right? I mean, we all have them, right? You know, you all, I mean, I know y'all. You're in the Wendy's drive through line, and you're in the back of the van of the mom that's got 15 soccer kids in there, and she's ordered half the restaurant. And you're waiting, and you're being patient, right? And your grace is running out. Well, we're commanded to love, to be kind, to be patient. But here's what happens. When, I, when I'm commanded to do it, and I try to do it, and I realize I can't, what does that do? That drives me to my knees, and I begin to seek God, and I begin to seek Him. And as I seek to Him and yield to Him, and we yield to Him, and we are indwelled. If we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will begin to take control of that area and begin to cultivate love in us. And if we'll let the Holy Spirit work, He will produce that love in us that is needed so that when we are commanded to love, we can love. When we are commanded to be patient with someone, we are able to be patient. We are able to, that fruit is able to be produced. And, and so, it's not the branches that produce the fruit. How many know it's the vine? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The branches bear the fruit. The vine produces the fruit. And so, there is the planting there is the cultivating, and then finally, I'm closing with this, there is the producing of the fruit. In other words, what do you mean, why is the fruit produced? Think about the producing of the fruit. Seed has to be planted, it has to be cultivated, and then there's the production or the producing of the fruit. Why is fruit produced? Why is it produced? Why is spiritual fruit produced in our life? Why is fruit produced on farms? Why do they produce them? Well, there's two reasons. One is 
is for consumption so that others can, it can be eaten by someone else, right? How many ever seen a fruit tree eating its own fruit? It don't do it because the fruit that is bore out of your life is not for your consumption, it's for someone else. It's to be eaten by someone else. It's to be consumed by someone else. It's to meet the need of someone else's life. You know? Because somebody else around us needs love or needs someone to be patient or gentle or kind with them. And and so someone else needs. And so the consumption of fruit. It's important to consume fruit. Because the consumption of the fruit does two major properties in our lives, in our bodies. I I named you one of them, but it also does uh, a couple other things. One, it it releases the bodies of its impurities. If you eat fruit, it'll, it'll pull the impurities out of your body. The poison and the toxins that are in your body, it'll pull out the toxins that are in your body. The fruit... The consuming of the fruit, the eating of the fruit. And so when someone eats off of your fruit tree, what are you doing? When they consume off of your fruit tree, your kindness, your love, your patience with them, your gentleness, your faithfulness to them. When they consume that fruit, what does that fruit do? It begins to rid the body of impurities. Rid the body of toxins that are in their body. You know what I think? I think sometimes the fruit of the Spirit and the believer can produce a healing in the life of others. When they eat the fruit of the Spirit off of your life, it can, it can, it can remove the poison of bitterness. It can remove the poison of unforgiveness, the poison of, of, of a toxic lifestyle. Why? Because they, they're able to taste the fruit of the spirit that has grown in your life and it has changed somebody else's life because they were able to consume off of your life and to eat off of your life. And so it removes. Is, let me ask you this question. This is a good question for you to answer because are people better off when they're around you? Are people that are around you, do they, are they, do they end up being better off when they're around you? Do they leave feeling refreshed? Do, when people are around you, uh, do you produce the fruit of the Spirit that brings, uh, that brings a relationship or that brings, a, that brings something they can take away from being around you and say, man, that was incredible. I mean... That, that blessed me, that touched me, that encouraged me. Your fruit, the fruit that is produced, the producing of the fruit is not for your consumption but for someone else. Number two, it's for propagation. In other words, to reproduce itself. Fruit grows, and when fruit grows, it propagates. In other words, their seed for more fruit, right? So the fruit of the Spirit in your life is not only for others to be nourished off of, but so that you can also propagate and plant the seed, the fruit of the Spirit, 
Sometimes the fruit of the Spirit is the witness that helps bring change in someone's life. It's not what you say, but it's the fruit of the Spirit that is lived out in your life. That people see that become a great witness. In John 15, I want to close with this verse. If you turn with me as we close tonight, Pastor Adam, if you'd come. I want to read some more of this verse. This is a powerful verse. This is the night before the cross. Jesus speaking with his disciples. He gives this progress. Fruit is mentioned 11 times in this chapter, in this scripture in John 15. Be good to read it this week. But I want, to see, want you to see the progress of fruit in the believer's life. We begin reading in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. That it what? That it may bear more fruit. So you have fruit. And then in verse 2 there you have not only fruit, but you also have more fruit. You go down to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Do you see the progression here? What Jesus is saying is, is that it's God's desire that you begin bearing fruit. And then you are pruned. So that what? So that you bear more fruit, so that you also bear much fruit. And then verse 16 is the key because it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain. Fruit should just not be there and gone, but fruit, the remaining is that there should be a constant abundance of fruit that is being poured out. That is being released in the aroma of your life. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and fruit that should remain. Well, how do you do that? Well, you abide. Verse 4 tells us, Jesus said, If you abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. The word abide means to dwell in. It means to intertwine with or connect with. It means to carry the same nourishment source. Isn't that good? To abide in Jesus means that we are to connect to him as, as a source of nourishment to our lives. We're to dwell in. We're to connect in so that we abide in him. Verse 15 tells us to abideth. That we are to abideth in him. That we, which means we're to continue to abide. Not just abide once or just connect once. But there's a continuation of abiding in him. He's the vine. We are the branches. As we connect into the nourishment of God and pull from the source of that vine, our branches begin to bear the fruit and become trees of life for all those that are around us. Just a little Bible pomology tonight. Just a little lesson on fruit growing. The seed has to be planted. The tree has to be cultivated. And there has to be the producing of the fruit.
Stand with me tonight if you would. There was a man in Great Britain. He was an exhibitor. And I don't remember what the exhibit was, but they had this huge exhibit. And it was, uh, it was a, an attraction that drew many in Great Britain. Matter of fact, it drew the, in, it drew the interest of the Queen of England. And so the Queen of England had showed up at this exhibit and she was going around to the different exhibitors that was there looking at their exhibits of whatever the theme was. I'm not sure what the theme was. But there was this exhibitor who knew the Queen was coming and he had been so excited about the showing up of the Queen for her to see his exhibit. And uh, he had bragged about it, talked about it. Matter of fact, the night before the exhibit, he could not even sleep. He was awake all night knowing the queen was going to come to the exhibit. And so when the queen got there, she passed through the exhibits. And when she got to his exhibit, he was asleep in his chair. He, was, he had fallen asleep. And the queen, she walked up. She noticed that he was sleeping. Nothing was said. No one awakened him. She stopped and she looked. And she just passed by the exhibit. You know why? Because royalty never, never imposes itself on anyone. It just moves on. See, God doesn't force us to bear fruit. We bear fruit because we yield to it. We submit to it. We submit to the pruning. We submit to the cultivating. We submit to the seed that is planted, the implanted Word of God that produces fruit in our life. And what happens is I believe sometimes the Holy Spirit comes and He's looking for fruit. He's looking at our exhibit. And if there's no fruit, that is being born out of the life of the believers, I believe just like the Queen of England walked by that exhibitor, so does the Holy Spirit just pass by. Why would, he, why would he show up and release all of all of who he is to a people that is not a bearing fruit? And I want to challenge you tonight. I want to challenge you to bear fruit, to allow the fruit of the Spirit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit, to begin to come forth in our lives. See, there's the contrast of the old life and the new life. You either live by the flesh or you live by the Spirit. I mean, you know, the works of the flesh just lead to chaos and death and destruction in our life. But the fruit of the Spirit produces life. Who's eating off your tree? You say, well, I've not been a Christian very long. Well, that's all right. Just be patient. The sap is rising. The sap is rising. That's my prayer for you tonight is that the sap will begin to rise. The sap will begin to rise. I mean, we're entering springtime. We're going to begin to see the budding of trees. We're going to begin to see the budding of fruit and, and, and flowers and things come forth. The sap's rising in the trees. 
Sap is rising. Father, we love you tonight. Let the sap rise in me. That the fruit of the Spirit may be born in my life. Father, I just pray that I learn to abide. I learn to abide. Lord, that I learn to dwell and connect with the nourishment of who you are. We just pray, God, that you would release. God, we give God permission to be the vine dresser of our lives. And we connect with the vine who is Jesus. And we pray, God, that you will help us to bear much fruit, to bear more fruit, to bear abundant fruit, and to have lives that are fruitful. We thank you, God, that you are faithful to us. And I release the fruit of the Spirit into the lives of each of us tonight. Let joy and peace, gentleness, long-suffering, faithfulness rise up in us now as the body of Christ. There's a world that's starving, that's full of toxins and impurities who need the purifying of the fruit of the Spirit of what real love is, of what real joy is, what real gentleness is. Release that in our hearts now, God. Let us be fruit bearers. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.